back, everybody, to the Classic Rock Podcast. And coming up in what is a show, I think, this month with a really classy vibe attached to it. Uh, we've got fabulous music, great conversation. And by the time we get to the conclusion, you're going to be here probably half a bottle of Jack Daniels down, sat in a room in the dark with his shades on. It is that classy. Uh, so what is coming up? Well, we have the critically acclaimed singer-songwriter and blues guitarist, Joanne Shaw-Taylor. She's our special guest today. Plus, I'm going to introduce you to a talent that you've probably not heard of before. But her band have been on tour with Robert John and The Wreck. I saw them last week. And it was one of those rare times, you know, where you get a support band and they're on very early and few people are taking notice. And then, then you notice within about seven or eight minutes, the bar's emptied and everybody's stood watching. So who are these people, I hear you ask? Caitlin Crisco and The Broadcast is the name of the band. And Appalachian Roots Rock is how you would sum them up or how they sum themselves up. Uh, for us, they've, they've got a mix of everything, a little bit of everything, the doors to classic blues, and a special mention as well for a, a rather barnstorming conclusion to the set because they did a version of Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll, which had everybody singing along. Great band. Stay tuned after Joanne Shorthead, after we've heard from her. And we will be hearing from Caitlin and hearing some of their music. And I'll t tell you, afterwards, when they finish their set and they're all over at the, the merch table, there must have been a 20-minute queue at that table with three of them. Caitlin was there and the, the rest of the band uh, selling their CDs and, and T-shirts. Uh, now, I've got to give you a quick advance for the next slew of upcoming shows. Some really great guests from all walks of rock and roll. Next up after today, uh, we've got a Dokken special. I spent a couple of hours yesterday with Don Dokken. We talked about pretty much everything. Did you know that he once actually worked in a Rolls-Royce dealership? Got so fascinated with him, he bought a manual and then became obsessed with classic Rolls Royces and actually hired them out of wedding cars. No, neither did I. So we've got plenty of that. And also coming up, we have Kim McAuliffe of Girls School. She's going to be in to look back at 45 years of the band. And if you haven't heard or seen the new album, it is their best in years, and it's worth digging out. So if you stream or you actually buy things, uh, go check it out. Uh, also, who else? Don Brewer from Grand Funk Railroad. He's coming on. We're going to be celebrating 50 years of the all-time classic. We're an American band. And back as well are Foghat, talking Sonic Mojo. They have a new album out, and that's good as well. This is all to come over the course of the next month. Now, let's get back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. It was all about classy vibes, wasn't it? So let's just uh, get it on. And here's a double to get you going, to get you into the groove.
progress Biding her time She'll tear you into pieces And leave you crying Be sure to keep a distance Between her and love She catches up quick and sends your fury down Raining from above She's a bad storm Just her in the dark Cause she's a stone cold killer She ain't taking nothing from me But she's a stone cold killer Wayne Shepherd was the first up from the upcoming album and it's called Dirt on My Diamonds. That track was Best of Times and then Robert, John and the Wreck. Stone Cold Killer, brand new single, one of the best live bands out there. They're currently on tour late fall in the US and currently in Europe. If you get a chance to see them, you should. There are a few harder working bands around either. I mean, if you look back to this year, there's already been the live album, the EP, the new album. Now, of course, uh, we're looking ahead to this new album, Stone Cold Killer. That was the track. Now, Joanne Shaw Taylor is one of those rare commodities in as much as she is a great singer. She's a great songwriter and she's an even better blues guitarist. When you talk about blues guitarists, she is amongst the elite of performers. She's also uh, very down to earth. She's unaffected and really very genuine and also a pleasure to deal with. She's currently at the beginning of a US tour. That's going to take her up until Christmas. And there is a new album coming from which this was the first single, Sweet Little Lies. And afterwards, catch up with the conversation I had with Joanne. I talked to her a few days ago before she headed off on tour. 
I wanted to start with, and it literally is at the beginning, when you said, and your words were, I knew when I heard Stevie Ray Vaughan after I saw him on video, age 13, that that is what I wanted to do. I never considered any other profession. I wanted to play blues, live in America, and buy a cowboy hat. (laughs) <laughs> I've achieved two of those things. Well, you've got the third as well, because you've got one. You, have you not got a cowboy hat? I'm sure you've got one in your I video. I I stick with my British newsboy cap. <laughs> the little homage to my uh, homeland. But what was amazing about that, about that quote that you gave, is that it had such an effect on you at such a young age. And if you look back, I mean, I can't imagine any of your friends were listening to it. I mean, you you would have had exposure to the media of the time and none of it would have been Stevie Ray Vaughan. So how did that go down with all of your friends when you go back into school and go, right, I, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a blues guitarist. Um, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I, I grew up with a really close-knit um, friendship group that I'm still friends with. Um, so they were very supportive. The two main friends were Liz and, and Helen, who were still my best mates. And I think they knew me well enough that when I said, hey, you know, I'm going to be a blues guitarist, and they're like, all right, sounds about right. <laughs> sounds like something you'd do. Um, but no, they were very supportive. They... You know, my dad would take me to gigs on the weekend at the Robin in the Black Country and sometimes they'd come with and, you know, and tried to really get into it. And they did actually, you know, they're still blues fans and they, you know, understand what I do, which was um, really, really nice of them that I had that kind of, you know, supportive friendship group at such a young age. And those are those are some very cool parents. I mean, come on, this, this isn't this isn't normal. Your dad, to, I mean, getting your dad to take you anywhere is is something for you to get to to be taken to sort of the the adult place where you know the adults listen to great music. I mean, this it's very unusual. Yeah, and you know, you do think about it now. I was sitting here last night thinking about it because. I mean, it's not that long ago, but it, I mean, it's been a 25-year journey. Um, and, you know, I'm a very different person now. I'm a 38-year-old woman, and I don't know. I think I have a lot to thank 13-year-old Joanne for, yeah. you know, for being so persistent and determined, because I'm not sure I'm that person anymore. I think she was a lot more tougher than I am. So, um, but also having parents that were, you know, so supportive, because as you said, not many dads would say, okay, well, let's... Let's go to a blues club till midnight, you know, as long as it's not school night and, you know, show you what's what live music is all about. It's great. I mean, I have to say I dragged my daughter to, to yeah. all, all manner of gigs. <laughs> now, apart from your dad having that uh, ABBA album, I mean, his tastes were pretty eclectic and your mum was more into soul and Motown. So you had different vocal and guitar influences. So vocal-wise, you, you, you'd be listening to people like Marvis Staples and Aretha Franklin. And then in terms of the blues and the guitarist, you're Freddie King and Johnny Winter and Jimmy Vaughan, uh, Stevie's brother, etc. So there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, I always say I think I'd have been a different musician if I'd have been born a man because obviously the blues world was heavily, and the guitar world is still very male-dominated. And obviously listening to blues guitarists, I could emulate that. The guitar is a a gender-neutral instrument, so I could, you know, try and copy what Stevie was doing or Freddie King or Albert Collins. But when it came to singing, obviously, 
I needed to to find female influences, which tended to be outside of the blues, um, more soul, pop, classic rock. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think had I not have been born female, I may have been a slightly more traditional blues artist. I don't know. Maybe I'd have gone more into rock, but I definitely ended up being a, 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 a you know a different package because of of being female. I think your talents were obviously pretty <clears throat> obvious. Uh, to all around but in terms of being cool there you are when you know again all your friends are around doing what they do at that age you're playing the marquee ronnie scott's i mean this must have been something as a as a teenager i mean how did you keep perspective i think you know the, the i think because i was so young i didn't know it was different you know, I didn't have any many experiences. So it was, you know, I just picked up playing guitar and then I was playing these clubs and I thought that was the natural progression. You know, if I'd have done it when I was 28 and, you know, really worked the scene a lot longer than I did, it probably would have occurred to me that it was such a big deal. But I kind of did it in reverse. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I kind of I played the marquee and Ronnie Scott's and then all of a sudden lost my record deal and had to go work in a pub and, and start from the ground up again, which I think was also really beneficial, uh, beneficial to me. But yeah, I think when you, you're that young, you don't, and also the having the confidence to do it because, you know, nothing's ever gone wrong. So, you know, you don't know things can go wrong or, or that you should be nervous or, um, so I think in one sense, I think I was very lucky to do it so young and kind of not realise how, you know, momentous it was. Yeah. Well, the moment of fate, obviously, was you're playing the, the breast cancer benefit gig for your, your mum and a friend of Dave Stewart's picks up the, the demo and the next thing you know, he's, he's on the phone to your dad who can obviously barely contain his excitement. And <laughs> I, but I just loved trying to picture what was going on in the background. You going, who? Dave? What? Dave Stewart? Who's he? <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's so funny because I was, my dad came to visit me in Nashville last week and we were, the final night we were sitting in the Hermitage Hotel and Dave walked in. <laughs> and my dad hadn't seen him, like they both looked at each other like shocked and Dave just said to him, he's like, last time I saw you, she was about 17. <laughs> and my dad just looked, so it was kind of funny to have that again after all those years because obviously I've seen Dave a lot, but you know, my dad not so much. Um but yeah, I had no idea who he was, which is why Manishka always found hilarious. Um, and then his supergroup, I mean, uh, DUP, you're off, uh, working on that European tour. And you, you're gradually seeing recognition as well in these these early days, coming from some some pretty major players here. Yeah, if you look back, you find words of, of encouragement and everything from Stevie Wonder, from... Annie Lennox, Jimmy Cliff was was another one. I mean, it must have been difficult for you to to look at this and everything that was happening and think, well, there isn't a flip side to this. This is this is the road. This is the yellow brick road I'm on. Nothing can possibly go wrong. Yeah, I mean, again, naivety of youth, isn't it? Um, I think at the time as well, I was just so glad to be out of school, <laughs> to be honest, because <laughs> I hated it with a passion. Um, I just, you know, hated, well, I always joke, I hated, I became a musician because I hated two things. One, waking up early and be being told what to do. And what I didn't realise as a musician is all I do is wake up early to catch a flight <laughs> and be told what to do. Um so, yeah, I think, you know, it was just, again, just very naive and, which I think was very helpful to me. You know, I didn't get an ego about it or, 
it was just sort of like, okay, this is what I'm doing. They seem nice, you know. <laughs> so you're in your early 20s, the first, first album's out, your 2010s new blues artists of the year. And then you're on this run, 11 albums between 2009 and Nobody's Fallen in 2022, including the Reckless Blues uh, EP. This is a very, very large amount of work because we, we don't even include the live gigs in this. And as you say, you went in to full party mode in this time as well, drinking too much, wrong food. The one that did surprise oh. me actually was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. It's a, you know, it's amazing what you can do in your 20s. <laughs> yeah. That's all I would yeah. say. I mean, now it's like if I wake up and, and you know, forget to take my turmeric, my knees hurt. It's, um, you know, fortunately, you know, I wasn't doing anything too crazy, but it was certainly, again, benefit to 20s. You can have three hours sleep after doing a gig and get up and run five miles and do it all again, you know. Um <laughs> I mean, it's so, the yeah, work I, I rather more than the, the you know, than the, the drinking I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about here because, I mean, you know, literally you must have been, if you weren't in a studio, then you were on the road. I mean, there was very little time for you to do anything else. No. And, I mean, to add into that as well, my, my mother was always, also at the time, I found out my mum had ovarian cancer the day I finished recording the first album when I flew back. Um, and then she passed away in 2013, just before, I think just before we did Dirty Truth. Um, so it was a very strange period because on one hand, you know, I finally get back to having an out, a record deal and I, I record now with Jim Gaines. And then I find out, you know, my mom's facing this battle that she obviously wasn't going to win. So between, you know, touring nonstop um, and not in being in a studio. And if I wasn't doing that, I was, I was taking up, you know, my mom to, to chemo and, and things like that. It was, um, it was full on my twenties, I have to say. Um, and you know, it was brilliant. And I'm so glad that, you know, you look back and I've achieved all that, but I will certainly say that, um, I think COVID was a, a much needed break for me yeah, yeah. to kind of put into perspective that maybe I need to slow down and, and, you know, what's the point of being a musician if you're not enjoying it um and I was at the point where it was I was burned out so um you know the work I'm very glad I did that work yeah yeah <laughs> I yeah I want to live through it again do you know what? <laughs> I was gonna say you you mentioned COVID and you you needed that break from writing and performing and it was pretty much the first length of time you'd had off in 13 years was there a part of you as you came into that period that began to almost resent the control that the job and the music had over your life. And you were just thinking, yeah, I, I do want something else as well as this. Mm. I think that the scariest thing was that when you're a musician, all you have is that. I left school at 15 with three GCSEs and one of them was in Spanish and I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> so I don't know how that, that's, you know, you suddenly stop at, at <clears throat> in your early 30s and you know it's like I don't even have a resume to go get a gig stacking shells in Sainsbury's you know um you know it's all very well playing the Queen's Diamond Jubilee but how does that translate to getting a job <laughs> um yeah yeah so you realize you know you have put all your eggs in one basket but also I think you have to do that you know I think you have to be that way minded I think there has to be no other option for you than doing this um 
but I definitely, I think I went through a phase in COVID where I didn't touch a guitar. I just, you know, learned to cook and, and walked and went on bike rides and, you know, kept away from people and germs. Um, and then there was a period of time where I really started to, to just sit down and play guitar to Steve Ray Vaughan videos and remember why I, you know, wanted to do this in the first place. Um, and then obviously started talking to my best friend about it, Joe, which led to yeah, this yeah. situation, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and, you know, that will kind of, again, we'll get into that, but, you know, working with your best friends um, and just finding the passion for it again, I suppose, but also putting, I did in COVID put down some routines you know, just better health and walking and more exercise. And I do yoga now because I have to, because I've yeah. got sciatica, because I'm a guitar player, <laughs> you know. Um, just realizing if I want to keep doing this, I have to look after myself.
the other thing is, again, in your in your twenties, you move to to the US. Now, you know this can be fraught with with problems and issues to to just pack up and move to a, a different country. So, what was it like acclimatizing to life in in the US? And what did you like most about it? And what what didn't you like? I think the thing, the reason I always wanted to move to the states, and it's funny, I bumped into a couple who noticed my accent in a Florida airport the other day and started talking to me about how much they love the States. And, you know, growing up on essentially a very small island in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, it's not quite the Azores, but it's not, you know, when you compare it to the size of America, the idea of touring and being able to tour with no borders, you know, you've got this massive landmass with all these different um you know scenery and there's no borders you can drive for days and days um and i think that really appealed to me that sort of open freedom um and in terms of moving it was pretty easy because i you know i was 21 so my two best friends one was in university in barcelona the other one was backpacking around australia so it was that kind of time where everyone was going and, and finding their you know finding themselves as young adults really so um and again there was no language barrier uh, so to be honest, I find it all, all very easy. Um, and I was very lucky to find a, a very good support system in America of really good friends early on, um, which, you know, was hugely beneficial to everything that was going on in my career and personal life with my mom. So amazing shows, great albums. And I'm looking at some of your quotes from this time and how you describe yourself. You say I'm a blues guitarist, but I don't think any of my albums have been really bluesy. I don't think I can write blues. Uh, I didn't think my vocals were mature enough or or good enough. Um, All of which seems, seems odd really that you should, you should be doubting what most other people could see was, well, fairly obvious really that you could do all of those things. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, when you're that young and you're still trying to figure out who you are as a musician and who you are as a person, it, it's really hard to put a label on yourself. And also, why put a label on yourself? You know, but if one day I want to do a, an, an acid jazz album, which I probably <laughs> will not, but I'm just, you know, a rockabilly album. Um, so it's sort of, I think there's a, I think I felt from the British blues scene that there was a, a very strict word of what blues was, and I think that was very different to what I th- thought blues was. I see blues as a feeling and emotion and how you approach music, not so much, you know, does it fit into a 12-bar format mm. and, and yada, 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 and is there a harmonica solo and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think I, by saying I don't consider myself blues, I felt like I was opening myself up to be able to experiment a bit more um you know and, and include some rocky pop stuff and soul and you know and just not really put a label on myself so do you prefer the analogy that over the years i've become the artist that blends blues soul and pop yeah i mean i think again going back to the fact of being female there was no artist that i could kind of look at and say i want to be like that because I wanted to be a bit like Stevie and I wanted to be a bit like Dusty Springfield and Aretha Franklin and a bit like Stevie Nicks and Bonnie Raitt, but I don't play slides. Um, you know, there was no one female blues artist that looked like me and was playing blues rock. Um, 
So I kind of had to invent myself. So I always said I just wanted to figure out who Joanne Shaw Taylor was and, and sound like Joanne Shaw Taylor. And I think all the albums, you know, have been, I, I haven't put out an album that I don't love, you know, mm. uh, and wasn't the best album I could do at that period of time. You know, if I recorded, re-recorded my first album now, my vocals would probably be a bit more polished. But, you know, I you can't go back in time. Um, but no, I, I like that. I think... Um, you know, the mix of, I always say I'm a blues guitarist that's a soul singer that writes pop rock songs. <laughs> that's good. You know? Now, how is the industry <clears throat> changing to be more inclusive? Now, I'm not sure when you were talking about this, but you, you said, look, I'm learning to be assertive, but often assertive women are viewed as being difficult. Now, has that changed over the years that you've been... Uh, a performer in particular the time that you've been in the States? I think so. I think it's been accumulation of a couple of things for me. One, the Me Too movement was really important in having those kind of discussions. Mm. Um, and more importantly, men coming forward and having those kind of discussions like, Hey, do you feel safe in this environment backstage? Do you, yeah, yeah. you know, um, because you know it's, it's all right for women to say what the problems are but you know we need help changing it from your side um you know and male colleagues being more understanding of you know what's appropriate to say and what's not and then combine that with aging frankly being a 38 year old woman is, it's far easier to tell someone to shut up than it is when you're <laughs> 25 yeah. and scared you're going to ruin your career and oh yeah um so yeah i think those two things combining i think it is getting better um, you know, uh, just little things, um, you know, my guys in my band understand a bit better that they wouldn't have thought of before. Like the fact that, you know, I always demand a dressing room with a, a lock on it because I've got a shower in there and there's, you know, 20 guys walking around that I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, it seems obvious really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, they don't have to, when you're a six foot four guy from Yorkshire, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that so much. Um, so just little things, really. It has, and, and again, in interviews, um, and even on fans online, I've noticed less people are, are calling me their favourite female guitar player. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, as if... Well, guitar player's a guitar player. Yeah, you're not it? my favourite guitar player, just so you know. But, you know, out of the five girls that play guitar... It's <laughs> a good um, point. <clears throat> you know, so things like that, that the people are starting to understand a bit better. I certainly don't... I mean, when I first started, people used to tell me I was good for a girl. You know, as if it's a handicap, um, you know, having over it. So um, things have definitely come on a fair bit. Where you have been successfully assertive is not letting anybody dictate what image you portray, rather leaving everything mm. to the music and the shows and the performances. And you've you've done that without an issue. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do think about that sometimes. I was having a conversation with a stylist about it the other day, and I've been like that from a very young age. Like if my mom tried to get me to wear something that didn't feel right, I would just hide under the bed <laughs> so she couldn't reach me, um, which was, you know, the cause of much frustration with my mother. I've always known what suits me and what doesn't and what feels right to me. So it's um, <clears throat> and learning to experiment a bit that now I think also there was a part of me when I was younger that didn't want men to comment on how I looked so I just dressed in black and tried to ignore you know be as neutral as possible yeah yeah um whereas now you know 
Again. Well, age brings confidence <clears throat> as well, doesn't it? So you can... Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've always been very genuine and I hope, you know, that's <clears throat> one thing, you know, I'm sort of remembered for really is that I always did what I felt was right for me at the time and what felt like, you know, Joanne Shaw Taylor, whether that's music or image or, or anything really. Well, you said, you said that <clears throat> I'm not much of an attention seeker. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm not. I'm not shy. I used to be painfully shy when I first started. Um, but obviously, standing in front of people and, and doing interviews has, has brought me out of myself. Um, but no, no, I'm definitely not, you know, uh, I'm not Freddie Mercury, no. who I love. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not flamboyant, you know. So, the meeting with Joe in Norway, opening up for him which led to you both sitting up talking all night till 5am in the, in the morning. What did you find most in common? Why did it click? I never met anyone like Joe that had, had the same upbringing I'd had in terms of one playing guitar so young and gigging and getting, you know, he was playing with BB King when he was 14 and I was playing with Jimmy Cliff when I was 15. It's, um, but also coming from a, you know, I had a mum and dad who were happily married that supported me in doing this because they wanted their daughter to, you know, succeed at her dreams. But they weren't stage parents. You know, they had, as soon as I was 18, they had no interest in managing me or, you know, they just wanted to make sure I was safe. Uh, and Joe came from that same background. So it's really, I mean, out of all my friends, he's the only one that understands, you know, as you get older, looking back and going, hey, that was kind of a bit weird. You know, were we like, um, you know, child performers? Um so that's a, you know that's a huge thing to have in common, and then obviously he's incredibly bright and funny, which never sucks to have those qualities in a friend. Uh, the one way to test a friendship is to work together, and yeah. <laughs> he was fairly clear from the outset. I know we're friends, but I'm going to push you, and you will not like me. So did he, and did you? I think that was the most interesting thing about it, and I'm, I've talked to him about it. I think he was surprised. I don't want to say how professional I was, but, um, you know, when I work with a producer, I understand that, you know, we're not making a Joanne Shaw Taylor album. We're making Joe Bonamassa's version of that Joanne Shaw Taylor album. You know, and if I, I did that album with Jim Gaines, it would sound different. Um, so you've really got to, it is a collaboration and you've really got to trust each other. So, of course, I'm going to go in there and, you know, if you go in and fight a producer on everything, oh, I want it to be faster. I want to change the key. I don't like the chorus. It's just going to be a headache. Um and you're both going to end up with a product that neither of you like. Um, so actually, we got on really, really well. Um, and actually, it was so much easier, particularly doing Nobody's Fall, you know, when you're writing original material and you're anxious about, you know, letting people hear it. It was so much easier with him because there was that level of confidence and trust. And, you know, we know each other very well. That yeah, yeah. I could send him things that even were unfinished or, and which I would usually never do with a producer. I'd, you know, really polish it up. Um, so it's really nice to have that kind of collaboration with him. I was impressed as well, by the way, with your attempts to get Joe into watching uh, British TV like The, uh, the We're Crown. We're on season three. <laughs> He's on it, is he? <laughs> <Have> yeah. You... <laughs> Bless him, his girlfriend. He refuses to watch it with her because it's our thing. <laughs> so it's been, I haven't seen it for a, a year and he's still stuck on season three because I haven't seen him to watch Did you it try him with anything else? 
Well, the plan was to finish the crown and then we were going to do Downton Abbey. Oh, Downton Maggie Smith. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. So, um, fortunately, his partner has already watched that and he's trying to encourage him to, to, to watch it. But um, hopefully she will succeed where I failed. Another interesting facet of your, your professional life, the difference in the way in which the British and the US press write about you, I mean, in, and how they describe you. In the UK, you're referred to primarily with this degree of reverence as a critically acclaimed guitarist and singer-songwriter, so that sums everything up, really. In the US, they do like a headline, and you can find yourself often referred to as the high priestess of the blues. Which, yeah, which do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> Just Joanne, black country girl. It's, you know... Um, though being a, a, a mad Harry Potter fan, High Priestess or something else that sounds slightly puts me in the wizarding world, I'm, I am a fan of. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, it's funny reading those things about yourself, particularly when it's interesting now when you look back at the journey. And as I say, it's been 25 years and how much has gone into it. And that's not always been great, to be honest. Some, some of it's been amazing. Some of it hasn't. Um that, that you know when you see those kind of headlines it's like that's just silly it's it's 25 years <laughs> of hard work is all it is so the new track that was dropped last week sweet little lies initially i thought oh is that is that a cover of fleetwood mac mm. um so this was the first track he's written on the <clears throat> new album which is coming in 2024 is there a title for the album yet yes it's called heavy soul brilliant Listening to the the track, I love the video. By the way, oh thank you. I haven't watched it. I'm You've not, not seen it. I, you know, people keep asking me at the label to check the photos, and it's like I I don't want to look at me. <laughs> like, oh, it's a great video, actually. I, I mean, I'm sure Rob did a brilliant job. I'm just I'm just not much of a you know narcissist enough to want to watch myself in a video. It's it's like hearing your phone voice, you know. Oh, it's well, it's it starts off brilliantly. I love the the classic retro. Mercedes with the mm-hmm. guitar on the seat. Yeah, it's it's a great video, really cool video. And but I was apparently looking... my dogs in it as well. <laughs> well, the 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 ensemble of musicians you've got working there. Rob uh, Rob McNally worked with Carrie Underwood on on guitar. Uh, Doug Glancio has worked with Bob Dylan, Alison uh, Priestwood, who's on bass, we work with George Benson, Jimmy Wallace from Kenny Wayne Shepherd's band, Anton Figures, of course, we work with Joe Bonamassa. I mean, when you walk into a room ready on mm. day one to the, for uh, the get-go and you see what's around you, does that immediately raise the level of what your performance is going to be? You know, it was interesting doing this album because... It's the second album I've done with Kevin Shirley and the last one we did, Wild, we also recorded at RCA and I wanted to return there again to kind of, felt like the the right spot to do it with Kevin. And the first time we did Wild in 2015, you know, it was a similar, um, you know, level of musicianship, Michael Rhodes and, and I was absolutely terrified and completely out of my depth is how I felt. And I had, I just felt like I had no business being there. Um, and then eventually by the end of the session, Michael Rhodes, you know, I can't read charts and they're, you know, coming up with stuff really quickly. And Michael kind of sat me down and went, but we can't be here without you. You're, you know, you're bringing the songs and kind of essentially the product. 
and without people like you, we don't have a job. Um, and it kind of sat with me and it was just an interesting experience to walk in on this time. And I realized, you know, I know everyone in the studio. I've known Anton for 10 plus years through Joe. I went to see him play on Letterman once about 14 years ago. Jimmy, I've worked with live. Kevin's been a dear friend for many years now. And it was so nice to walk in and realize uh, that you've reached that level of maturity, really, where you're confident in yourself, but not to the point of having an ego, I don't think, but you feel capable and you know your songs are going to get the treatment you want them to get because these amazing people and talents are lending you, you know, their time. So it was just a really, really nice, positive experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, they're great musicians and, it, you know, they certainly added <laughs> a what lot is, to the What is it? I've, I've never <laughs> met Kevin Shirley, I've never talked to Kevin Shirley, but w w what is the the ingredient that he has that makes every band a musician the moment that they say right we're going to do a new album right um, phone kevin will you see these see these yeah. available it, it literally is the, the guy has an appetite for work which is unlike anybody else i just wonder whether or not he ever has yeah. a day off or does he have a life yeah i mean he does i mean because he lives in sydney now as well so he does seem to spend a, a an amazing amount of time doing long haul flights to America every other week. Um, I mean, for me with Kevin, one, again, going back to that friendship thing and that level of trust where, you know, I mean, we're really good mates. He's one of my best friends. So, you know, that's a really lovely um, support system to have in a producer, you know, someone that you're making this album with. For me, it's just Kevin's ear. Um, you know, I'll take him songs and, you know, the ideas he had for what the musicians could be trying to do. And, um, but also, you know, there's always every take we do, it's Joanna, you happy with this? You have to be happy with this. This is your song, you know, and there's that level of support again. Um, so yeah, he's just, he's a really fabulous guy to work with and, um, just has ideas that, you know, you wouldn't think of. I mean, even if it's just covers he suggested for this album or, you know, subtle yeah, yeah. changes to the to the original songs. Um, it's just a you know exceptionally creative guy. What what can we expect in terms of the the <laughs> style of the the album overall? I mean, the the last album, Nobody's Fool, was very different. Um, and I, mm. I don't think anybody was expecting that that retro pop with this uh, mm. very modern modern flair there. Uh, and Nobody's Fool is where you wrote. You said listening to a lot of Joni Mitchell and Fleetwood Mac. So what have you been listening to for inspiration for this album? Um, I kind of went back to the blues. I mean, the reason I wanted to do Nobody's Fool and that kind of departure was because I'd done the blues album. You know, I'd done a, a cover of blues and then I'd done the blues album live. So essentially I'd done the two most traditional blues albums I'll ever do in the space of a year. So I kind of thought I can get away with anything now. You know, I could put out anything and it doesn't have to be too bluesy because I've just done you know two blues albums so that was really good fun but I think with this one after making that departure I kind of went back to um the kind of stuff I was always listening to so a lot of classic rock a lot of Fleetwood Mac um a lot of Free and Bad Company and um you know I kind of didn't really I had some stuff left over from Nobody's Fall yeah yeah that, that I wanted to work on so I kind of approached this one as how do I go from Nobody's Fall back into a slightly more blues 
um, arena. So I kind of wanted this album to be a bit of Nobody's Fall, but moving back towards um, like the previous album, Reckless Heart. Um, so it's kind of a, a mix of both, I think. A bit of pop, well, again, a bit of pop, bit of blues, bit of rock. <laughs> so is there anybody out there that you secretly harbour uh, a desire to to work or collaborate with on on a project. Um, I mean, obviously, apart from Joe, uh, is there anybody? I mean, because I've asked this question to so many people, and the response has been incredible. I mean, Michael Shanker would love to team up with Rod Stewart. <laughs> where, yeah. where did that one come from? And there, are, and there are so many. So, is there anybody that you would love to work with? There's there's a lot. I mean, Rod Stewart. Um, I supported him. Just I think it was on the last gigs before COVID shut us down. <clears throat> on the best gigs I've ever been to. I mean, God, the guy can still sing. Um, I think for me, <clears throat> thinking more realistically, um, I would love to do an album with Dave Stewart. Yeah. You know, for all the, the years we've known each other, and he supported me, and we've actually we've kind of worked together a little bit. But it would be nice to sit down and write an album with him and have him produce it. Um, Good version of Missionary Man, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, Um, great track. Good, thank you. Um, But yeah, I think that would be kind of a nice full circle. Strong, said be true to yourself, and 
And so you're out on the road. You've done uh, you've done Glastonbury this year. How was uh, how was Glastonbury? Judging from the number of comments and the videos that have been put up, that set went down a storm. I mean, you looked as if you were having an absolute blast. I always do. It's you know, I always, <laughs> it's not hard to go on stage. I, I walk on stage and people clap for me. <laughs> you know, I'm not you know working in a coal mine or re- pulling ridiculous shifts as a, as a nurse my job is is pretty easy in the scheme of things um so i always have a great time but the main thing i remember is how ridiculously boiling hot it was because i've i've been living in america for 15 years and i've been spoiled by air conditioning <laughs> um and me and my bass player just tipping buckets of cold water over ourselves as soon as we got off stage but uh yeah i mean it was great to to be there and, and it's the second time i played there so you know, I mean, there's nowhere in the world quite like Glastonbury. It's its own city. And so you've got a massive tour kicking off next week. The bus is yep. uh, getting its service. Now, have you got the babe cave set up there, by the way, with the wine and cheese in the fridge? Um, the wine and cheese has been replaced by blueberries. <laughs> no. Soda water. Um, and it's actually now Hank's House of Hank because I got my puppy coming with me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And so, so the uh, so the tour finished. The album have we got a, a due date for release, or is it yet to be scheduled? I believe it's yet to be scheduled. Um, that or they just haven't told me, which is also likely. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm the one person who doesn't know when my album's coming out. Yeah. 
thanks to Joanne Shaw Taylor. Always such a great pleasure to have on the show. And if you haven't actually caught any of her live shows before, then you genuinely do not know what you are missing. Head over to her website. You will find all of the details of all of the upcoming shows between now and Christmas. And that brings us to the final act of today's show. Caitlin Crisco and the broadcast currently on tour with Robert John and The Wreck. And no idea why this band isn't huge, I have to say. Caitlin, another one of those people that simply has it all. A fabulous voice, great stagecraft, a real presence out there, and above all, a fine band of musicians to support all of her considerable talent. Uh, I caught up with her after the show to get some insight into who they were and where they came from. But how do they sound? Well, take a listen to this because they sound fabulous.
I just love that track. It is called Lead Blood. It's from Lost My Sight, the album which is available now. So over to you, Caitlin, for an introduction. So tell us who you are and where'd you come from and why haven't we actually heard of you before? Well, I was born in Detroit, so I've got a lot of Motown influence in my music. And then when I moved to the South after college, I met all these boys who are Southern boys, very influenced by Southern rock, like the Almond Brothers, Warren Haynes, Tedeschi Trucks Band. I obviously was really influenced by Motown mm-hmm. music, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, The Susie Supremes. Quattro. Yeah, and, you know, Susie. just, I think there's really like, you can hear that blend of blues and rock and which creates that roots rock sound appalachian that, roots rock exactly is how you yes, describe it yes yeah because yeah, we're not especially because southern rock is like a very it's a culture it is a genre it is a it's a, like a lifestyle in america mm. and i i just i can't claim southern rock but i can yeah. claim roots rock 100 percent. yeah I was, I mean, listening to the, uh, listening to the set, you, you could hear influences from everywhere. There was, there was the doors. Yes. I mean, there was, there was definitely uh, some yeah. doors. In there. <laughs> I loved Jim Morrison when I was a teenager. <laughs> I think every girl does. Yeah. So these, these influences that you have managed to blend into something mm-hmm. can make it your own sound. Yes. Yes. It, because it's very, it's very uh, different. It's not as if you're following a trend. Thank you for saying that. Uh, or it's not like, you're not like any Buddy else Thank of you. that genre. Thank honestly. you for saying that. We really something that I think is so important about music is it catalogs the time that we're yeah. living in. And the reason that music sounded the way that it did in the sixties and seventies was because of the time that we were the, we I wasn't alive then, but the time that people were living mm. in, the things that were going on, civil rights, all the kind of protests mm. and people really stepping forward with their power and their voices. Well, it's 2023 now. We've got to tell stories that happen today and that are happening right now. And um, I really want people, when they hear our music 20 years from now, 30 years from now, to know that we were from this time, to know that we were making music during this time so that we can really catalog this moment in time for people and that they don't confuse it for something from 40 or 50 years ago. Even though we have immense influence from that time period of music, Mm. it's so important that we really make a mark in a unique way with the music we create. That's a good point you've made because I've talked with with Giant Short Taylor with Samantha Fish yes um, and we talked about creating like a blues rock or a rock blues or the Appalachian roots rock if mm-hmm. you like, but a sound for today and not trying to be absolutely BB King absolutely yeah, and also or, there's never been a more exciting time yeah. than right now for women in music oh, women absolutely. in roots rock music in blues in blues rock there's just such an incredible stepping forward of women in the music industry right Right now and I just feel very blessed and lucky to be named among such incredible artists. <laughs> Have you been surprised at the at the reaction that you've had from from the crowds? I mean, yes! down, down here tonight, yes! you're, you're on <laughs> at, at what ten past seven? Yeah, I, I only got in there because I, w- I came down early for the car parking. <laughs> Totally fair. Totally fair. You got to get that parking. No, you've got to get the parking. You got to get the parking. But when you when you got in, it was uh, I mean, it was a real joy actually, a real a real pleasure. And you could see one, you guys were having the best time. Yes. And it wasn't false. Yes. And you could see that the crowd just started off like they do, sort of like this. And then by the end of it, the fists are going, Mm -hmm. and then they're all over to. 
shake your hand, buy your t-shirts and get the record. It's been shocking. I'm not going to lie. Like the receptivity <laughs> in the UK has been absolutely incredible. Um, I think if you sense joy is something that people keep repeating. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is something that I really like mindfully try to connect with every time I step on the stage. I try to imagine that I am an old woman who has been sent back in time and I get the chance to like live this moment again and live on stage and sing from my soul and my heart and to not take any moment of it for granted because who knows, you know, who knows when it's going to be the last time you step on a stage, another, who knows, you know? Well, who knows, another, yeah. vo another voice that, that came out when I was listening to you, I was thinking, ah, Mama Cass. Oh, thank you. Wow, that's a nice yeah, one. Wow. Oh, yeah, what wow. A voice. Yeah, and also yeah. what an emotional singer, what, oh, a, what a person who really went to the depths of their self-expression when they sang. And I think that's also just like a real gift as a singer to be able to tap into like whatever it is out there that connects us together is pretty amazing what's next for you we have yeah. a new record coming out in april which we're really excited about mm. um we just opened up for blackberry smoke stateside which was amazing uh yeah, we're yeah. hoping we're gonna get the chance to do that some more in 2024 uh we'll definitely be back in the uk absolutely in september 2024 if not sooner it's gone so well that now I'm like, can we come back in like April or May? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're working on it right now. Well, look, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you. And uh, I wish you all of the all of the success that you deserve. I appreciate it. Thanks for the great interview. Well, that was the wonderful Caitlin Crisco from Caitlin Crisco and the broadcast. You can find all of the details about the band over at their website lost my sight is the latest album it was released in 2020 it was where that uh, track uh, lead blood came from it's a brilliant album uh, you can also by the way see the video of that interview over on the website as well as some of the live performance from robert john and the wreck uh, plus we get a few words with the boys in the band as well and that is it. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the show. And there is more to come. Next week, Don Dockin is on ahead of the brand new Dockin album. We're going to be talking about, well, just about everything. Great interview with Don Dockin. So look out for that. And don't forget, you can catch up with everything on the website, www theclassicrockpodcast.com or over on the Facebook page as well if you want to get in touch. Uh, for now, though, that is it. Thank you very much for your company and I look forward to having it again on the next edition very soon from me, Tim Cable. Till then, bye-bye for now. <laughs>